the conservative majority on Newburgh's school board tripled down last week on its controversial policy to ban so-called political symbols like the pride flag and Black Lives Matter from classrooms and campuses. The board voted 4-3 to three to oust the popular superintendent who helped steer the ex-urban district to financial stability in recent years. It's the latest surprising step from a school board of elected volunteers, but Newburgh isn't alone. It's part of a broader movement. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Before we start, a quick thank you to our sponsor, Pacific Source Health Plans, for supporting the show. Up next, Ryan Clark and Edder Campazano. Ryan just joined the Oregonian last week and broke countless stories about the controversial policy this summer as a reporter for the Newburgh Graphic. Edder covers Portland Public Schools and education for the Oregonian and Oregon Live. We talked about last week's remarkable meeting, what students of color and LGBTQ plus students are saying, where the story may go from here, and how Newburgh fits into the larger American narrative today. Here's our conversation. Ryan Clark, editor Campazano, thanks for coming on the show. Of course, thanks for having us. It's a pleasure. So Ryan, let's start with you. You recently joined the Oregonian as a reporter covering prep sports, but you worked the past few years in Newburgh for the Newburgh Graphic. What was reporting life like out there before the summer of 2021? Well, it was your run-of-the-mill local reporting job. You know, I was reporting on sports. I was reporting on uh, local news education uh, in the traditional sense, uh, covering school board meetings on occasion when something uh, interesting might pop up, which wasn't always uh, covering local city council um, and spot news coverage here and there uh, and and doing a lot of different things for, for the graphic for a few years. Um, and so it was, was not nearly as eventful, let's say, as it's been in the, the last few months. So uh, during your stint at the graphic, you were all over this story, obviously, as, as a local reporter for the, um, the local newspaper. Can you just talk through what, what that was like and when you kind of knew that this policy um, uh, to ban political symbols in schools was going to be a, a pretty big story? Uh, well, it, it um, all started really when uh, the school board races were happening in the early part of last summer. Um, there were a trio of candidates on the ballot who uh, were supported by a, a GOP-connected uh, political action committee um, called the COPS PAC, which stands for Community-Oriented Public Servants. And they supported an initiative called Save Our Schools, uh, which backed three uh, conservative candidates for school board who um, may not necessarily have had uh, educational background in the in the community, mm-hmm. but were supportive of these conservative policies. And um, that race was very heated and, and um, included the destruction of signs and name calling and a lot of uh, vitriol early on. Uh, and so two of those candidates won. Uh, that set the stage for what we're seeing now with the four-person conservative majority on the seven-person board that, since they have taken the oath of office, has essentially politicized the school board to a point of it growing and metastasizing to into this national um, story, or, or rather a board that's getting national attention for its actions. Um, it, it was not helped in any way uh, in terms of the 
national outcry directed at Newburgh that there were a number of events unrelated to the school board, such as the uh, Newburgh staffer who showed up to work at Mabel Rush Elementary School in blackface protesting the vaccine mandates, or a Newburgh High School student who was involved in a slave trade Snapchat group where he posted photos of his classmates. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so there's been a lot of issues involving racism and bigotry swirling around um, the school district generally, uh, and the school board itself has been under fire for uh, its ban on political symbols, which was initially targeted directly at Black Lives Matter and Pride imagery. Yeah, and uh, Edder, will get to you in a moment, but um, Ryan, can you just walk us through what happened last Tuesday night at the school board meeting? Because, uh, you know, these meetings are often having covered, you know, local government meetings, not <laughs> super eventful, but this was eventful on a number of fronts. Right. Um, so at, at last Tuesday's meeting, um, it started about an hour late because the executive session uh, that the board had on on its schedule ran late and, and went very long for um, reasons that we obviously can't report on because um, executive sessions are privileged in that way. But um, at the top of the meeting, um, Chair Dave Brown uh, made a motion to add to the agenda uh, an item of discussing the superintendent position. Um, there was an inkling of what that might mean, uh, it, but very little in the way of specific information was provided to the public at that point. Uh, we got to the end of the meeting, which was not until around 1030 mm-hmm. at night, uh, when it was revealed that the intent of that discussion was to fire Superintendent Joe Morlock uh, without cause. So at this point, uh, as Edder and I have, have reported, uh, they will now have to pay Superintendent Morlock $175,000 plus additional benefits for uh, the next year of his contract. And uh, after he departs his position on November 19th, they will also have to pay whoever is his replacement, uh, which is uh, in addition to all the legal issues that are facing the district and the potential litigation that will um, cause financial issues assuredly for for the district. uh, This is going to be an expensive decision on the part of the school board. So, Edder, how does what happened at at that meeting last week um, with the Morlock uh, being fired without cause fit into the the national landscape or even the the landscape here in Oregon in education circles? So, yeah, what we saw in Newburgh last week is pretty consistent with sort of the larger discontent, I guess, in school board meetings, particularly over COVID protocols and equity initiatives across the country. And specifically in Oregon, actually, this is the third superintendent firing that we have tracked here at the Oregonian and Oregon Live over the last um, six months, basically since the May elections. Here in Oregon, school board elections are held on odd-numbered years at the majority of districts throughout the state. In Oregon's case, you know, there have been conservative operatives that have basically been um, putting call-outs for people to run for school board. We reported on this back in August, uh, shortly after the Albany School Board actually fired its superintendent, in large part uh, because of the proposed restructuring of high school schedules. The Greater Albany uh, Public School System has two high schools on two different sides of, of, of town, and 
they have different schedules for some reason. And what Melissa Goff wanted to do was put those schedules in alignment so that students could go back and forth between campuses. And so they, they could basically offer more electives to the school that was in a part of town, uh, higher poverty, more students of color. And, and that rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. What you saw in Newburgh was similarly a school board with a newly conservative majority, as Ryan kind of pointed out in his uh, rundown of how the election took place, um, that basically led to school board members who at first wanted to ban Pride and Black Lives Matter flags on school campuses that got reworked into a general ban on quote unquote politically divisive symbols um, at the urging of an outside lawyer that the conservative majority voted to retain um, somewhat sketchily as Brian has pointed out in previous reporting. Um, and so basically what ended up happening on Tuesday was because Joe Morlock had sort of said at first when they were drafting the original ban that he would not, you know, enforce an illegal policy. And then the criticism on the part of at least two board members was that he wasn't enforcing the policy that they already sort of set forth, um, which is supposed to be a complaint driven process. Joe Morlock said that he hadn't received any complaints when, you know, these two board members were saying that he should be enforcing this ban which leads to a tricky question over like the mechanisms and just the messiness of this policy that ended up being pushed out because four people were super passionate about it and never really explained their reasoning behind why they wanted to span in the in the first place outside of kind of like wide platitudes about freedom of speech and bullying and yada yada which is also what ha happened in albany right um school board members there were always very 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 vague about why they wanted to fire melissa goff and that's just kind of the running trend of what's been going on nationally, um, statewide, in terms of these firings, in terms of this sort of unease and tension between school boards and sometimes their superintendents. Yeah, it's just like a very, very messy picture all around the board. Let's take a break and then we'll hear more from Ryan Clark and Edder Camposano. Ryan, can you tell us about the first test case of this policy? What happened and what did board members say about that test case? The first test of this policy occurred at last Tuesday's meeting uh, prior to the decision that the board made on Dr. Morlock. Uh, they, it was the first uh, symbol to make it to the board level because this is a complaint-driven process wherein uh, a symbol must be complained about at the school building level and make its way all the way up through administration beyond the superintendent uh, to the board through the appeals process. Uh, it reached the board and the symbol is a uh, rainbow background with a translucent heart in the center that includes the words, be known, which uh, is also the motto of George Fox University, a private Christian university in Newburgh. Um, but the discussion about it being political came out of an appeal from a community member who was concerned that uh, the symbol expressed support for LGBTQ plus pride, which in the view of this complainant uh, is political. Uh, and the board uh, did not come to a decision at the meeting about whether or not it was political because it wanted more time to discuss it. 
So at this stage, there are no symbols that are banned in Newburgh schools. That is significant for a lot of reasons, namely the anger and frustration that uh, Dave Brown, the chair of the board, and Vice Chair Brian Shannon, who was the architect of the ban, have expressed regarding this. Because they, um, for whatever reason, seem to have thought that their policy would have a sort of chilling effect on the, the school district community as a whole, that it might stop people from wearing Black Lives Matter or pride symbols or other uh, perceived political symbols in their individual views, uh, when in fact um, it's been the exact opposite and Chair Brown has acknowledged as much. The frustration at this point uh, with them is that those symbols have not uh, disappeared from classrooms. The process through which that is enforced is is complaint-driven because it was written that way by the lawyer that the board members hired. And the fact that they're expressing frustration with that process now, given that they were the ones who approved it, um, is interesting in a number of ways. Edder, covering Portland Public Schools, has this national trend of politicized school boards seeped into the state's largest body at all? Is this a topic of conversation? So... Interestingly enough, the state's largest school district has not really weathered controversies like this. The The last big topic of discussion at Portland Public Schools was whether to institute a vaccination mandate for uh, students. Um, PPS was actually one of the first entities in the state to announce that it would require all of its employees to be vaccinated. Of course, the district sort of gave in to uh, several demands from some of its educators and staffers. And while originally the timeline was for PPS educators to be vaccinated by September 1st, which was at least six weeks before the state was going to require workers to do so, um, the district ended up kind of punting and pushing it back. Um, But a few weeks ago at a school board meeting where the board was not going to vote on even, they were just discussing whether or not they wanted to, uh, you know, consider a vaccination mandate for students, a bunch of unmasked demonstrators who were vehemently against any proposed policy of the sort filled the school board meeting. A lot of them kind of openly talked about how they were coming from Malala, some of them from Vancouver, Washington, even, to protest against the mandate, even though they don't, one, have students in the district, and uh, two, Again, it was just a work session to talk about the effects of a potential potential vaccine mandate. So the district student council actually just voted in favor of telling the board like, hey, we want a vax mandate. But in terms of these equity initiatives, in terms of other sorts of COVID mitigation policies that have seen school board meetings and school board races in other parts of the state, turned way, way, way more contentious that it really has not touched Portland public schools uh, much, at least in terms of the, the the board meetings and in terms of the relationship between the superintendent and the board. Now, there are parents that disagree with some of the steps that the district has taken, but the sort of level of raucousness that you've seen in other districts just has not applied to Portland public schools nearly as much. Ryan, what has the student reaction been to the policy and to Morlock's termination? I know it just happened, but have students weighed in at all? The reaction to the policy among students has been 
uh, widespread um, disagreement from what we have seen in public comments uh, leading up to the political bans, official uh, language being crafted and it passing. Every student that I heard speak at Newburgh school board meetings uh, opposed this ban, particularly students of color and LGBTQ plus students who largely made up the majority of, of students who came to speak to them at the meetings. It, it's something that many of them believe impacts them directly, whether it's on a level of bullying or feeling safe within the schools that they attend. Um, you have um, students of, of all backgrounds coming up to support their LGBTQ plus and uh, black peers as they, they navigate this space. Um, and, and as far as Morlock's termination goes, he was somebody who was by staff in the community and, and by students as well, largely beloved figure over the last couple of years. He is somebody who uh, guided the school district out of financial turmoil. They were um, at a near half million dollar ending fund balance uh, on a significantly larger budget when he arrived and, and he shepherded them out of that and to a point where they passed a $141 million school bond last year, which is now going toward the construction of new school buildings and other major initiatives in the district, which something like that in a town like Newburgh was not even really conceivable before he arrived. Uh, but but he was a, a big factor in that. And I think that students um, admired him as well because he was constantly in the community and um, showcased a, a desire to to help students in a, in a way that um, is not always the case with somebody in, in a school district administrative position. And I do think it's worth adding students at other schools had taken notice and protested against the policy. I mean, at high school football games and soccer games, opposing teams, right, in the stands or fans from opposing teams in the stands would bring banners, you know, uh, Black Lives Matter banners, uh, the trans flag, the pride flag, to voice their support for marginalized students in Newburgh schools. Um, when we at the Oregonian wanted to talk to students, I think it's also, you know, worth noting that the students who were affected by this ban, whose, you know, identities were reflected by those banners, uh, straight up told our reporter, um, Jamie Ding at the time, she worked on that story for us. They told her that they were tired. They were exhausted of talking about this time and time and time again and feeling like the board just wasn't hearing them. You know, LGBTQ students have pretty consistently since midsummer testified in front of the school board to say, you know, I have not felt as much discrimination in school hallways as I have since you guys have um, instituted this ban or started talking about this policy. So in terms of student reaction, I mean, it's been ongoing and kids have, for the most part, been very vocal, not just in Newburgh schools, but outside of Newburgh schools in terms of their opposition to these policies. So Ryan, where does this story go from here? At this point, the school board is going to conduct its search for a new superintendent uh, to replace Dr. Morlock. There will be somebody who serves in an interim basis in the position. But the concern among activists in the community and among the minority members of the school board is that uh, the continued seemingly political agenda of the school board majority will 
make its way into the decision-making process of who will be the next superintendent uh, in Newburgh. Uh, somebody who may fall more in line with the desires of the board uh, in the way of not only the ban policy and how it's interpreted, but also other potential agenda items that may pop up along the way as this majority continues to uh, have power in Newburgh. But that power is definitely tentative at this point because there is an effort currently underway uh, by citizens in Newburgh to recall Vice Chair Brian Shannon. That effort, uh, I'm told, has enough signatures to get on the ballot in January of 2022 for Newburgh voters to decide whether or not to remove um, Shannon from his position. Now, he will have the option to, if they do meet that signature requirement, resign, but um, I would not expect that to happen. Uh, it is likely at this point that Newburgh voters will have an opportunity to uh, remove one of the members of the majority prior to a new election for that position come May. Um, so there will be a person that, if Brian Shannon is recalled, will fill that position uh, in the interim, and that will likely be picked by uh, Chair Dave Brown. But in May, Chair Brown and whoever is in that position, whether it be Brian Shannon or somebody who is replaced uh, in that position, uh, those two spots will be up for election. And given the vitriol around these issues and the discussion and the importance to many in the community, that is sure to be a higher participation election than one might have seen in the past for local school board. It might be instructive to look at the way that the appointment of an interim rolled out in Albany earlier this year, where the four-member school board there, it was a three-to-one decision to fire Melissa Goff, and then um, pretty soon after, only one candidate was really considered and kind of um, contacted um, by one or two board members to be their interim superintendent. So that man was Rob Saxon. He was the state's first director of the Oregon Department of Education, or the state's first chief education officer. It's a, it's a position held by Colt Gill right now. During last week's board meeting in Newburgh, two board members on the dissenting side um, of the vote to, to fire Joe Morlock straight up said that they have been precluded. They've been kept out of conversations between the school board chair that he's been having with um, a candy-based attorney that he pushed to hire to, you know, help the school board recraft its ban on Pride and BLM banners. And so both Brandy Penner and Rebecca Pyro straight up said that they have had to file public records requests to find out what this retained council was discussing with their peers. Um, and so it wouldn't be surprising if, you know, one or two folks kind of uh, rose to the top of the candidate list for even the interim position um, during a murky process where maybe some board members are shut out because uh, all three of the dissenting board members, frankly, have since midsummer complained about being shut out of the central discussions over things that they ended up voting on without really having much background on them. Um, so looking at the Albany situation would probably be pretty instructive, I think, looking forward at what the superintendent search might look like in Newburgh. 
to wrap it up, schools are very personal to cities and communities and families. Should we expect more stories like this, given the political landscape in this country? I think we can. Uh, I think that what we are seeing right now is um, a uh, battleground of sorts that's forming at these school board meetings and within um, school district communities where the concept of education is, uh, as it's been known for a long time, is frankly under attack by, by political operatives and people who are seeking to advance their political agendas in ways that may not be possible at a legislative level or um, at a federal level. It's something that as Edder and and other education reporters around the country have reported on, uh, it's something that's becoming a trend. Newburgh is one of the more notable cases that we have seen, but it is far from the only one, uh, particularly in the state of Oregon, but we see it all around the country. This is a concerted effort by political operatives to find ways to advance their agenda through nonpartisan boards, such as a school board. I remember this conversation that I had with, with Jim Moore, uh, you know, a professor at uh, Pacific University's Tom McCall Center for Civic Engagement. Back in August, after the Albany board fired Melissa Goff, um, I had a conversation with them about just the partisan nature of school board races right now this year. Um, And he basically told me two things. One, that conservative operatives have been for years, right, trying to get folks to run for school board as, you know, a path to higher office, but then also to kind of uh, help craft policy on a local level. Those efforts, largely over the last uh, decade or so, um, had mostly fallen flat because of the murkiness, right, of some of their platforms, whereas in 2021, in particular, coming out and being very vocally pro-opening schools, no matter what the cost, resonated with a lot of voters, even though school boards didn't really have very much sway in terms of reopening protocols. Um, You know, we saw this happen in the tiny Adrian district in Eastern Oregon, where the school board was adamant that the superintendent there should defy Governor Brown's statewide mask mandate. The superintendent there refused, not because he disagreed with the school board, but because he didn't want to open the district up to, you know, any punitive actions by the state that could lose money, basically. Um, if they went against that. And the school board fired him for not defying those mandates. So there's a certain component here of the pandemic turbocharging already existing fractures in school board races across the state. I mean, the second thing that he told me is that the current conversation over critical race theory, over uh, COVID mitigation strategies, to him, felt very familiar of the conversations um, over how schools should approach sex ed in Oregon about three decades ago. And so you've got this really hot button topic that's really kind of like lit a flame and tossed it on, you know, a bunch of oily rags for the most part that has turbocharged uh, politics surrounding school board meetings um, and school board races across the state. So I do think that you might see a little bit more of this in the coming years as, you know, we've seen people kind of Uh, separate and kind of hunker down in their own partisan camps. But I do remain hopeful that the next round of school board elections statewide 
um, are going to happen in 2023. And so hopefully by then, not only ideally would voters have a better idea of what school boards actually do, mostly to hire and fire and supervise the superintendent and to, you know, okay or ask for revisions to a budget, you know, a spending plan. There seems to be kind of a lack of, uh, of literacy across the board on what school boards can do and what they can't do um, and what they have purview over. Um, and I think it's going to be incredibly important for us as journalists for the next two years, basically forever, actually, to be very hyper aware of, you know, that sort of the, how things can slide between the cracks there and then also do the best that we can to relay to voters. This is what you're voting for. This is what the people you're voting for can and cannot actually do. Well, thank you both so much for your reporting on this issue. Ryan, in particular, you broke so many stories on this while at the Newberg paper. Uh, and thank you both for taking time to talk about it. Of course. Thank you, Andrew. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared links to Ryan and Edder's coverage of the Newberg saga in the episode notes. If you like the show, give us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really helps others find the program. And tell a friend. Help spread the word. The best way to support our journalism is through a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.